Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the SoCap Improv Comedy Podcast. My name is Ralph McLeod. I am the owner and artistic director of the SoCap Improv Comedy Theater in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, we're at 154 Danforth Avenue above the Black Swan Tavern on the second and third floor. We have improv classes, improv shows, events. We have two theaters, and you can rent and use yourself. We do private events, corporate events. And a whole bunch of other things. Uh, the URL is socap.ca. That's S-O-C-A-P dot C-A. We, are, we run some of the classes we run. We have like uh, committed classes where you would come every week with the same group and the same teacher for about seven or eight weeks, depending on if it's on a weekend or not, because we don't run classes on long weekends, uh, which can cause some consternation uh, with scheduling and whatnot. Uh and uh, those are really interesting. But if you have a more, I guess you should, you could say like a less structured schedule. We also have uh, drop-in classes where you can come uh, on Saturdays at five. We have a drop-in class for improv and new friends, which uses improv to, to uh, sort of break down barriers to communication, help you overcome your self-consciousness and grow your self-confidence, get out of your head and get into the moment. The way I like to talk about that. Uh, we also have a class that's improv for social skills, which goes even deeper into um, how much of what we've been taught about human communication is not just wrong, but exactly wrong. Uh, makes it much harder for us to talk to and bond with other people. And uh, then we have on Fridays at six, we have a, like a role playing class that's sort of like the beginning improv class for people who. Uh, some may want to perform, uh, but also if you want to just learn how to be more playful with human beings out in the real world when you have conversations, that's a good class for that. And then on Thursdays at 6, we have our drop-in class for performers. Um, yeah, so it's a real variety grab bag of stuff. And, and some people who start in some places wind up doing other things. So that's really interesting. It's, it's really fun for me to watch the journey of people who come and Maybe the first time they come, it's because they've heard, oh, improv might help me get out of my comfort zone, or think outside the box. And while those things are true, uh, well, I got to say, just a note about the comfort zone thing. I do not want to get people out of their comfort zone. I like to push up against the outside of the comfort zone, the edge of it, and see if I can expand it in something that may have been hard to do or problematic before becomes, oh, okay, I, okay, I got this. I can do this now. And in that way, we can slowly expand our comfort zone. I like that. But um, I don't like to get out of the comfort zone. I don't want to be out of my comfort zone, although I think my comfort zone is pretty big. I don't like to be outside of it because then I'll be terrified. Uh, but I do like to do things that are that bring me a certain amount of discomfort or that are difficult. You know, I like doing that. I like challenging myself um, because I, you know, I'm 56, so... You know, I do things now routinely that a decade, two decades, three decades ago would have filled me with absolute horror that I'm doing them now. But I do them now and routinely, and it's not a big deal at all. Uh, but it's interesting to watch people who come in, and that's their association with improv, and that's what they want to do. And then before you know it, they're on stage. Because, again, getting on stage, you know, not, not to be a professional comedian, because our, our beginning student shows are for other students and friends and family. It's very, um, how would I say? Well, we liked, I like to make things be, you know, have low stakes, have low stresses to them. 
Because once you introduce stakes, I mean, and let's be honest, getting on stage, even in front of only classmates and friends and family is still, you know, induces anxiety and fear and, uh, you know, desires to be good and perfect and, and all kinds of things, let alone if you're doing that in front of a, an audience of pay of people who paid and, and then have a right to, well, I mean, everybody has a right to be entertained, but have, I guess, uh, are less forgiving since they don't know you and they pay money. They might be more um, demanding and rightfully so. But, uh, you know, when we do our student shows, those are free. So your friends and family and yourself can come to those for free. We do ask for a donation at the end. Uh, but that's, you know, that's mainly because, um, some people like to give, you know, they're very nice about that. And, and everybody, people have different capacities, you know, obviously we have, we have, uh, we have students who, you know, for whom a five or $10 donation is not, um, easy to come by or other people, you know, putting 20 bucks in the hat at the end. It's not a big deal and they're happy to do it. So we, we do accept donations, but it is absolutely not necessary. I would much rather people come and hang out and have a good time and meet people and experience if improv is right for them, because I, I have a hard time feeling, you know, it, that it isn't. I think, it, I think it's good for everybody. And interestingly enough, I just saw someone sent me, I think it's the University of Pittsburgh or, or Philadelphia, somewhere in that region in the States where they now, and I'm sure this isn't the only one, where they now have improv classes for their law, law students, right? We're going to teach you. And I guess it helps. Yeah, it would certainly help if you're arguing cases in front of juries uh, and saying yes, saying yes, so much power in saying yes. Uh, anyway, so today uh, I wanted to talk about um, sort of the beginning of the creative process when it comes to improvisation. And, and, and again, I know like this podcast is really, it is about improv, but to me, the main, the big value of improv, if you don't want to be a, a performer is how it helps in the real world. And I, you know, I, and without any word of a lie, like I, in the real world, I improvise with people. They just don't know it. Uh, I mean, depending on how you define improv, improv, you might say, well, just having a conversation with someone is improv is improvising. And I can't sit here and say it's not. It doesn't fit my definition necessarily. It could. But my definition of improvising really centers around playing. And when you're playing with someone, it's it's about communicating with them and bonding with that person. And it's less about, I guess, the, um, the, the, the needs that we have to get from other people. Like we all have needs that we want from people right? We, we want to be liked. We want to be seen as smart. We want to be seen as helpful. Like we all have our various gimmicks that we want other people that we want from other people. We want them to see us a certain way. We want them to like us. And just because we want things from people doesn't make that evil or bad. It depends on what you want from people, but we, we do want things from people to be liked. That's not a bad thing. Um, um, but, and now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Which happens every once in a while uh, because I'm a bit of an idiot. Um, we want things from people. Yes, right. And uh, right. So, yes, what improv is. So, but what, I, but, but, but when you can be improvising and playing with people, that desire is um, seconded, it is reduced, 
because the play becomes the thing. And at the end of that, you know, whether someone likes you or you like them is just, it's outside of that. You know, you can't make everybody like you and you're not going to like everybody, of course, right? That's just, we all know that. Uh, I think, I think we all know that we, we don't like everybody. Um, and not everybody's going to like us. And, and, you know, there's theories that it may have to do with, you know, the, your immune system and whether the immune systems of two individuals complement each other. And in that case, there tends to be more of a, a like between people or like-minded. You know, we like, we like who we like. That's all there is to it. Um, so I, I think for me, one definition of improv has to include playfulness. And so if I'm just having a conversation with someone and I'm talking about something and they're not really listening to me because they're busy thinking about what they're going to say to me and vice versa, to me, that's not really improvising. That's going through the motions. But depending on how you define improv, that certainly could be. It absolutely could be. All right. So uh, so I want to talk about the creative process. And at the beginning of an improv scene, or at, not even the beginning, but the whole thing, and how this parallels to me, a conversation with someone in the real world. When I say the real world, you know, I mean not a work one, not a school one, but one where there is no, um, I guess, expectation. Like there's no formal, there's no formalcy to it. It's like, you know, a small talk at a cocktail party with someone you've just met or banter at Starbucks while you're waiting for the barista to finish your coffee. Uh, the grocery store lineup, uh, meeting someone for the first time. Um, these, this kind of, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Or, you know, maybe it's a date or, you know, a second date or a third date or, you know, eyes across a crowded room at the bar. Anyway, the point being that, uh, when, when we start a scene, you know, or when we start a conversation with someone, what do we do? What are we doing? How do we start? What, you know, do we think of a line of dialogue? Uh, you know, people have these small talk, you know, cues, ask them about themselves, uh, ask them, uh, you know, what brings you joy? These things that these questions now that are so overused, they become boring unto themselves. I think we've learned over the last 10 years that people don't want to talk about what they do for a living, which in, at least in North America is a question that we ask a lot, you know, and I still get it. You know, what do you do for a living? Uh, and, uh, I mean, I'll answer it, but it's not my favorite question and I don't usually care what people do for a living unless what they do for a living brings them a certain amount of joy and fulfillment then I'll, I'll hear about it all day but if someone does a job and that job is they only do it to pay the bills and they're working for the weekend well then they don't care about it and i don't care about it um so um so i'll go back to the improv example for a second so when a scene starts let's say two people sitting there in chairs looking at each other. There's no there's no suggestion. I don't like suggestions. The start scenes and we just look at each other. Well, what are we doing? We're making decisions like crazy. We're, and um, you know, how I feel. What does this feel like? Does this feel formal, informal? Do we like each other? Or do we not like each other? Okay, based on that, oh now here comes a line of dialogue. How was your weekend? Hmm, how was my weekend? I'm gonna decide it was great. It was great, thank you very much. Okay, why they ask me about my weekend? Who is this person? Who asks that question? And we try to figure that out. So to me, the, the, the act of figuring that out, when it is between individuals, two, three, four, including the audience, it could be 100 people, 
We're all trying to figure that out. And in one sense, we're discovering together who we are. That's one way to do it. Another way is for a character to just say it, to have thought about it in previously and come out and said, well, doctor, how are my test re how are my test results? That's another way to do it. And that's an, that's, that's a different one style because that involves only one person. And so when, to me, when it's one person, I call that writing or inventing. You know, I'm going to invent a line of dialogue or write a line of dialogue and I will say it, or I will invent myself a situation and I will say it. And it's hard to, I think, think about this without seeing it happen. But when you see it happen, the writing or inventing or pulling things out of left field is never interesting. And it rarely gets a laugh. And if it does, it'll get a derisive laugh. Like, <laughs> or you might get a head laugh if it's a really good line. You might get like a, <laughs> you know, a clever, an up in the headline. Up in the headline, an up in the head laugh. Discovery on the other side of that, this divergent thinking that happens between and among people as we discover things together without stating them. And it just becomes somehow clear, like, oh, that's, that's a father and his son. But nobody said dad, nobody said son. We just know it somehow. And how did that happen? Well, they've discovered that in the course of events. And that discovery is based on all the things that happened up to the moment when it became clear to us. And it started with the way they looked at each other. And any kind of initiation that a person may have, an improviser may have taken on before the scene started, like, I like you, or I don't like you, or I feel superior to you, or I'm in a good mood, I'm happy. So all of that together led eventually to the discovery that it's a father and son. And as we go on, we might discover more that, oh, this is the son's last day before he goes off to war, say. Okay, then it becomes a different thing. But these, you know, bits of plot or bits of information that come out are much more uh, satisfying to ourselves, to each other, to an audience watching them when we discover them almost by accident, as if we're talking along and then all of a sudden it just becomes aware to me like, oh, I guess you're leaving. Why are you leaving? You're going off to war. Okay. Uh, and that's different from a sort of prefrontal process of like, well, what can I say right now that will be interesting or funny? And, and even if you can say the best thing, it's rarely funny in a sense that connects with people. And you can tell the difference between the laughter that connects and laughter that doesn't. The laughter that doesn't, and, and this is not a pejorative thing. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say like one is better than the other. Although I do myself think the connecting laugh is better richer and deeper and more rewarding but a head laugh you know at a, at a clever joke a turn of phrase a pun that's really good we'll get a bit of a <laughs> clever nice i get it but it's up in the head the discovery laugh that comes like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh i just get it now she's having an affair that discovery laugh that happens you know the, the actors discover it at the same time as the audience discovers it and that is a magical moment because it brings us all together in the here and now into a moment that is for all of us 
And it reminds us that there are people, that we have groups and tribes, and this is my group because we've all got there together. I'm part of something. And boy, that's what we really all want, right? To be, to connect with other human beings and be part of something. So the two sort of ways of, of creating scenes is the, is the writing and inventing route where, you know, that's down to one person generally who lays out a lot of information, uh, who says things that they think will be funny, but rarely are, uh, versus the discovery route where we work hard together and, and we think about, well, how do I feel about this person? How do I feel about what just happened? Given that I've made these choices, what does this scene start to feel like? Does it feel formal or informal? Does it feel professional or are we a family or are we a couple? Do we love each other or do we like each other? Do we hate each other? Okay, based on all that, who does this feel like we are? And that discovery that you work out, you know, it, it, it happens again and again and again where, you know, I'll just, we'll discover the relationship between the characters or that one character doesn't like the other one. And then I think back on the scene that I've just watched, like, well, when, when did I become aware of that? Or when did, there's no real clear answer. There's an exercise. I don't do this exercise anymore, but it's called the mirroring exercise where two actors will face each other and they will begin moving and if a is leading b follows exactly and the b leads and a follows exactly and you keep kind of flipping back and forth until it becomes hard to know who is leading and it just seems like it's a seamless dance and it's like that you know there's also a meisner exercise that i use where i have characters standing actors standing face to face and character A will say, you're wearing a blue shirt. And character B will do everything they can to, to say exactly and to reproduce what they've just seen. The voice, the line, any inflection, any laugh, any titter, any physical thing, exactly back to the, you're wearing a blue shirt. You're wearing a blue shirt. You're wearing a blue shirt. And when you do that, eventually it'll start to change. They'll get self-conscious, they'll laugh. The other character will also laugh back. Um, and it's amazing when you watch that, uh, how often there will be things that will change. And in retrospect, we'll say, well, who was the first person who laughed? And nobody will know. We just know they started laughing. And that's the, the quality of discovery that is magical and transformative, where invention is often boring, derivative, obvious, you know, and especially, you know, even if you're really good at writing a line of dialogue. And I mean, pretty good. I mean, of course, there are like, there are some really great improvisers who can do this on the regular. But for most of us, you know, it's uh, even if you write a pretty good line of dialogue, you might get a heh or, you know, you just come across as a smart aleck. Now, I'm going to wrap this up in another minute. But this also, to me, works in the real world where I meet someone for the first time and I'm just trying to figure out, well, what is this? What does this feel like? Are we going to become lifelong friends? Is this a single serving acquaintance? Do I want to get out of here as fast as possible? You know, I, I try not to make decisions beforehand. Uh, I, like, I want this interaction to proceed, and then I'll let the interaction tell me what it is, rather than me imposing it, right? And that way, you know, hopefully if there are friends out there or, you know, the future Mrs. McLeod, I won't miss them because I won't be, I, I won't arrive with my preconceived notions. I will instead let the situation unfold as it wants to unfold. And then I will find out what people are.
Anyway, that's my time for today. Thank you very much. Uh, discovery versus invention. Discovery or uncovery. You know, one thing I think about with scenes and with interactions is that they've already taken place. And my job is just to come in and shake, move away all the dust and, and sand and see what it was and discover what was already there. You know, the characters, when they improv, the characters already know what's going on. They already know their lives, but they're sharing it with me. And I'm figuring that thing out rather than me imposing something. You know, and, and one of the problems with imposing is you don't know what's in your scene partner's head. And it often leads to fights over whose reality and whose games are we going to play. All right. Well, that's it for me today. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to the SoCap Improv Comedy Podcast. Uh, discovery and uncovery versus invention and or writing or solo creation. And the differences and why I think one is superior to the other. All right. You have a great week. We'll see you here next time on the SoCap Improv Comedy Podcast. Bye.